with Birkenhoff episode 13 and in this episode we have a lot a lot of major topics to get to so I'm not going to make this introduction too long but I do want to make sure everything is all good as far as reading chat and you guys for your feedback live on the podcast through my twitch at the breakdown with Birkenhoff or through my D live or uh or sorry my YouTube at breakdown with Birkenhoff or my twitch or D live at the breakdown with WB but real quick before I check all the chat groups, make sure to check out Freedom Scoop if you like this sort of content. We have our friends here, Stephen Ingramus, who is also live right now. We have Jay Edgar. We have the Generational Gap. We have the R-Rated Conservative. We have the Freckles and Brit Show. These are all individual shows you can find on YouTube, Twitch, and DLive that kind of talk about the same topics that I do besides getting information just from one mass media source. Essentially, we are all just trying to give our perspective, our individual perspective of what we see going on compared to what the media is really telling you is going on because we all know that the media has their bias and that is both on, on, that is on both sides through Fox News and through CNN and through other platforms. No mass media company or affiliate is really not telling you the full story and it is a rather sad thing and that's why the people uh, Ed and Jake at Freedom Scoop decided to to go ahead and make the program for that very reason so I would highly suggest you checking it out especially if you are a fan of that sort of uh, content and just want to hear other perspectives besides the ones you you regularly hear now we're just checking YouTube real quick and once I get YouTube up and ready to go I will go ahead and get into our major topics. Now, I didn't want to cover the Hunter-Biden Hunter, uh, laptop story too much because really there's not that much information you can find uh, on that story. And I also was just kind of tired of hearing about it and talking about it to friends and such that I just really didn't want to cover it as a main topic on today's podcast here. But I am going to mention a few things about it. One of the major things about this Biden laptop is, one, is questioning the exact modus behind it. Because the laptop was dropped off to be repaired. We all know that. And through the repair, uh, the, the guy then sold it, basically, or gave it to Ruby Giuliani. And then it got, uh, that got received to, uh, to uh, the news network to basically be a bombshell report and really I'm not real sure how much of a bombshell this report really is because the the images we have seen although they are disturbing <laughs> I'm not sure if disturbing is the best word for it through uh, Biden's orgy party and uh, cocaine and hard drugs and and prostitutes and all that and a good old foot job uh, Hunter Biden was receiving but the main question really to that whole news network or that whole story is whether Biden is the big man or receiving major money from Russia or from any other place uh, 
that, that he shouldn't be are basically to sum it up any foreign location is giving him money or foreign governments are giving him money because as we, as we all know that cannot be the case for uh, politicians and a lot of people are assuming are believing that the big man in all of these reports is Joe Biden and there is a lot of truth to that. A former, I believe it was a campaign manager or business associate, I think business associate, of uh, Joe Biden and Hunter Biden, or the Biden family really, came out with a huge report, bombshell report, really even more than the pictures of Hunter Biden, because really they're just disturbing pictures. There, there's not really that much more, at least that I have seen. Now, they were supposed to release something more, and I haven't really seen that something more yet, and I was going to look at that, and potentially cover it on a solo video on my YouTube at The Breakdown with Birkenoff, but I am not sure of that yet. So I'm not sure what to think of that second report, because I haven't seen it yet. But going back to what I was saying just before, there's supposedly this bombshell report of this businessman who basically was saying all of the shady deals that Hunter Biden and Joe Biden were doing and that he believed the big man to be Joe Biden himself. And obviously that would be huge. And if the mass media covered it fair and if the, the, the story is true or has some truth to it, it would be the biggest news story coming to this five days from the election. Basically, all five days we would hear nothing about this story from the Trump side, from Fox News, from all of these big media companies, but yet we are not hearing very much about it. So it makes me wonder about the legitimacy of the story or if it's just the legitimacy of mass media itself, because we all know that mass media definitely plays favorites to their sides and chooses to cover stories uh, truthful, not truthful, or just chooses what stories to cover in, in, a, in, a, in a summary sort of way. And, and, and obviously every news network has the choice to cover a story or not cover a story. And depending on the stories they cover, they get more views or they get less views. So obviously there are many stories throughout each week that news networks decide not to cover because they don't see it as getting more views or whatever their, their case would be. That happens every week. But to not cover a story of this magnitude makes me wonder just how corrupt mass media really is. Because this, if this story is just has a slimmer of truth, and it was towards Trump, they would have no, 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 no problems to just fully blast this story every single day if it was the opposite direction. And we have seen that really before with Russia and Trump a couple years ago. We have we have seen that from from uh, the mass media perspective towards Trump. So that isn't something that I don't think is uncommon or something that is bizarre enough to not happen towards towards that side. So it just makes me, like I said, just wonder just how corrupt the mass media is or the legitimacy of the story itself. And it may be a little bit of both. The story may have some truths, but not really be the bombshell that many like alternative media networks are talking about. So mass media doesn't really feel like they need to cover a story that really doesn't have that much significance because it is not that truthful. And that could be the case, and I would take a very positive perspective towards the mass media. But I'm sort of pessimistic towards the mass media's companies, so I don't really see that as being the issue at hand. And that leads me to the big segue towards the next topic, but I also wanted to briefly mention that I am going to be releasing a documentary analysis 
of the movie called The Monopoly, or the documentary called The Monopoly on Violence. And I was planning to have it out at the end of October, but I've decided that I'm going to push that back to the end of the election, because I feel like the end of the election, sometimes around maybe Thanksgiving break or mid-November, would be a better time to release this analysis piece than right now because it will just get overshadowed and washed. But if you're a fan of documentaries or you're a fan of what's going on in today's culture or just want an alternative viewpoint from what you regularly hear in politics, I would highly suggest you checking out that video because it might be right up your alley. Now to the segue for our first major topics. Our first major topics are, well, a couple of good old CEOs of tech companies were in hearings the, the, this uh, I can talk. We're in hearings yesterday on tech censorship. So there were several problems within tech and companies because these tech companies are private and many CEOs like Mark Zuckerberg or Jack Dorsey from Twitter have basically used the advantage of being a private company and using the, the loopholes of rules of being a tech company. Now, I am not a lawyer, and I'm not someone that pretends to know a hundred, a whole lot about this topic. I'm not somebody that, that I find the topic interesting, but I haven't looked too much deeply into the topic. So, I got, I got a rather um, basic level viewpoint of what is happening. But I do think I have some perspectives or what I've heard from other people from, from this topic. So basically, from my understanding, and again, I could be wrong, but this is why I do the podcast and talk to everybody and talk out loud and, and read comments and all this is to, to learn more live on air and to also just learn more about politics and how politics work, how laws work uh, with everybody else. But essentially, these tech companies have a, a, a law that basically allows the company to be a platform but not necessarily be responsible for what is posted on their platform. Now obviously that comes as a double-edged sword. Obviously the company wants to keep their perspective good, so they don't want bad things to be posted on their platform, such as, you know, pornography. Many of these platforms will ban pornography outright because they don't want that to be seen on their on their platforms. And that's why many uh people who try to do that end up getting taken down after some time when the when a tech company see it. But that's just one kind of example, but not really what we're necessarily talking about. Many people are wondering more from the political angle, and that's how I approach it. I approach this more from a political angle, angle of censorship. So if uh, they find certain things stated that are, are intimate threats. So if you're threatening someone on social media, you have gone the extra step. And that extra step, I think, allows these tech companies to go in and, and censor that person because they took that extra step of violence. And now we've seen many people do direct callouts on violence, especially on Twitter. A lot of Antifa members have done this including um, some Atifa members back when Andy No got pretty beat up. Man, this is a good probably six months ago when he got beat up by some Antifa members and went to the hospital. There were many people on Twitter that were directly praising what happened and calling for more violence, and their accounts are still up and never got taken down. But then there's other examples of tech censorship where... Uh, 
especially conservative outlets or conservative media have said that they have they are outright banning their their political beliefs or their beliefs or what they say when they shouldn't be because they're not calling out for violence or they're not doing anything that they see as being something to be taken down for rather than just having different opinions of the good old silicon valley silicon valley so before I blabber on too much about my general thoughts of this perspective, let's get into what the hearings were actually talking about. And this article is from Politico. This first point is GOP lawmakers put on a show bashing tech ahead of the election. Republican lawmakers appealed to relish in the opportunity to publicly humor hammer sorry to public humor to publicly hammer the CEOs on their policies which have faced mounting criticism from Trump and his GOP allies as the November election near, and they seized on Twitter and Facebook's recent decision to limit the circulation of disputed New York Post articles alleging direct ties between Biden and his son's business interests to accuse the companies of partisanship. Senator Ted Cruz, Republican Texas, an outspoken tech critic who in recent days has launched a media blitz criticizing tech companies rallied against Dorsey over Twitter's decision to initially block users from linking out to the post reporting. Who the hell elected you and put you in charge of the media are allowed to report and what American people are allowed to hear, Cruz said during one of the hearing's most pointed exchanges. Republic Senator Mike Lee, Republican Utah, suggested tech companies are engaging in deceptive and unfair business practices by proportionally handling right-leaning content differently, a sign that Republicans are prepared to pull from a wide array of legal tactics to change the companies. And then it goes on to talk about that point a little bit more. But obviously anybody who knows Ted Cruz know that he's somebody who has talked about this tech censorship very often, especially if you see him on Steven Crowder's show. He is a regular guest before these debate appearances and really a regular guest on Steven Crowder's show itself. And they have talked many times about tech censorship. And what this article is referring to here was about the Hunter Biden laptop story. So this was a huge event and they obviously seemed to not want this event to be heard. Now some people could say that this was because they didn't have the story being fully truthful. It was more speculative in quotations at the time. But really I don't think that is necessarily the case. And many people have speculated on events on these on these platforms such as Twitter, Facebook, and whatever else and haven't been taken down or haven't been censored from speculation. Speculation is obviously allowed. Now, why speculation would be censored is a good point, and a lot of, like I said before, right-leaning media or right-leaning politicians and such have been very much against what has happened, happened to, to, their, uh, to their voice through social media companies. A second point here, Democrats torched the proceedings, accusing Senate Republicans of weaponizing the hearing. Democratic lawmakers wild up the Republican leaders for holding the hearing days out from the election, accusing them of trying to get the companies to back off from enforcing the rules on post by Trump and his allies during the critical period. It marked a distinctly contagious hearing for the Senate Commerce Committee, which this Congress has, has otherwise engaged in bipartisan negotiations on an array of tech policy issues 
including on data privacy, but the spirit of collaboration was nowhere to be found on Wednesday. This is baloney, folks, said Senator John Tester of Montana, as the hearing neared its finish. Get off the political garbage and let's have the Commerce Committee do its job. Senator Amy Klobuchar in Minnesota, meanwhile, tore into Republicans for politicizing concerns about the election security instead of taking up legislation on the issue. So, that is an interesting point. And before I read the article, I didn't really think about that being necessarily the case. Now, obviously, politics is political, obviously, duh. But politics also can be extremely political in the fact of turning these hearings towards a political event. We saw in Amy Comey Barrett's uh, hearings um, that a lot of uh, especially Democratic senators were 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 basically telling making were basically making the situation more political than it really had to be. They were very much saying that it was Trump. It was Trump this, Trump that, Trump this, Trump that. And really putting the hearing on Trump rather than the hearing on Amy Amy Comey Barrett just herself. Now with these tech censorship and tech companies putting the hearing just before uh, the election, I think does have a little bit of a questioning as to why. Now, I don't know if this makes a whole lot of sense. Now, obviously some of these senators were in the hearings with Amy Comey Barrett, so they couldn't necessarily have two hearings happening at the same time. I don't believe that can happen because many of the senators are on the hearing of Amy Comey Barrett, so they wouldn't be able to go to both hearings at the same time because these hearings take a long time and take multiple days, usually. So I don't think, think that you can necessarily have two hearings that happen at the same time. And the reason I bring that up is, I don't know why the Republicans would wait if they didn't want this issue to be political. It would make more sense to have these, these hearings happen a month ago, or a couple weeks ago, to make sure to get these companies to wake up and not censor if, if, if they truly believe that they're getting censored, to not censor what they say weeks before the election and not just a couple days before the election. Because even if the companies uh, decided that the senators were right, uh, the Republican senators were right, and, and they needed to stop censoring Republican opinions five days before the election, I don't know if five days is really going to make that much of a difference, especially with the amount of mail-in ballots that have already been casted. I myself have not voted yet, and I'm waiting till election day to do so. So I would be a vote that could change necessarily on what was being said. But I don't think that many people are going to change their ideas, and I know I'm not going to change my ideas because I already have who I'm going to vote for set. And I don't think that that opinion is really going to change in these next five days. So, again, I don't really see necessarily the political motive of making this, this these hearings political five days before the election. Because, as I was saying earlier, I don't think even, let's let's give it that they say yes, that, the, that their opinions are being censored. And five days before the election, what is going to be done on Twitter and Facebook's side to change the issue of censorship in five days? In other words, I don't think that five days even gives enough time to make the algorithm or to make their their actual human beings that review change how they review the post and how they review 
items on their social media platform. So I do see the point that some of the Democrats are making on this on this hearing, but I don't necessarily think that their opinion or what they say is 100% valid, but it does have some truth to it. The next point, bipartisan efforts to revamp Section 230 smack into partisan headwinds. There's widespread agreement in Washington that the tech industry's legal protections need to be revisited on pared back, but you might not have been able to tell from Wednesday's hearing. Lawmakers on Capitol Hill have introduced an even advanced bipartisan proposal to revamp Section 230 in recent months, but these bills got little to no attention at the session Wednesday, which was instead dominated by committee infighting. And even Democrat proponents of Section 230 reform barked at the Republicans' focus for the hearing. I have been an advocate of the reform for Section 230 for Liberty for 15 years, so I really welcome the bipartisan senses that we are seeing now that there needs to be a constructive review, said Senator Bouchard, Democrat. Co-sponsorship of Section 230 aimed at circulating child abuse online. But frankly, I am appalled that my Republican colleagues are holding this hearing literally days before the election, accusing the GOP lawmakers of seeking to browbeat the platforms and bend their policies to their liking. Now, I definitely think that there is some of that going on. But at the same time, if you're a true conservative, you are very much believe that these tech companies are censoring you and I do think there are some data to suggest that this is happening. Now I don't see it as much happening on the left as I do the right so I do think that there is a slight censorship more towards the right than there is the left so I do think that is happening. Now do I think that they're necessarily browbeating or making uh, using the election and days before the election to change how the program is, or how these programs address, address censorship could be the case, but I don't necessarily think that that is, that is the case fully. The big thing takeaway that I took from the brief videos I've watched of this hearing and from reading this article, and we have a couple other articles on this, but the main thing is, it's, is basically the bipartisanship that is happening in governments today. You have Republicans and you have Democrats and you have like three Libertarians. Now I think there's more than three, but I don't I don't know the exact number. But basically, you have you have your two parties, and these two parties have are, are so far wide split from each other. You can't get any more farther apart than I think we are right now, especially with how the House Leader Pelosi is just driving bipartisanship up. She doesn't want to make a deal with Trump just because he is Trump. And Republicans are mad that they don't want to make a deal because of Trump, that they're now mad at Democrats. So the whole political system and the whole mass media coverage of what's happening and the whole politics, the whole system itself is making people bipartisan in politics and and, and life itself. We have seen the riots go up just because people don't like each other because of their viewpoints on who they support as president. And that's happening more and more and more and more and more because of this bipartisanship issue. So it does make a lot of sense that these senators are attacking each other and not really focusing on a true purpose of what the hearing is supposed to be. 
this next point. Facebook and Twitter are open to tweaking tech liability protections, with some caveats. The tech industries have long resisted changes to Section 230, widely created with helping to create the modern internet, but while all three of the CEOs testified Wednesday rejected calls to scrape the legal shields altogether and defend its purpose, both Zuckerberg and Dorsey voiced openness to tweaking it. In a pair of notable endorsements, Zuckerberg urged Congress to update the law to make sure it's working as intended, and Dorsey proposed three solutions to address concerns raised by lawmakers. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, raised three solutions to address concerns raised by lawmakers about how tech companies moderate using content including possible expansions to Section 230. His proposed framework included requiring companies to dis disclose more information about how they make decisions on content, allow users to appeal these rulings, and let them select what algorithms dictate what content users view on online platforms. And this goes on a little bit more, and then it mentions its last point about the Twitter CEO was on a hot speed for most of it. And that is mainly because Twitter, as a platform itself, has a lot of opinions and a lot of blue check marks. And really, I've seen the most amount of like calls for direct violence on Twitter than any other platform. And Jack Dorsey, through what he said, especially on Tim Pool and, and I believe it was Joe Rogan about whew, maybe two years ago by this point, year and a half ago, whatever. You probably know what you're talking, what I'm talking about if you're a fan of any sort of. Joe Rogan content or political content itself, but essentially uh, Jack Dorsey was very much making a fool of himself on that show with Tim Pool, and it was very c concerning about how their approach to censorship was happening, and a lot of people were very skeptical about it. Now this next article is with by CNN, CEOs of Google, Twitter, and Facebook grilled in Senate hearing. Ted Cruz yelled, his Democratic colleague Brian Schwartz called the hearing in which was speaking a sham. Committee Chair Roger Wicker couldn't pronounce the last name of Google CEO just another day on Capitol Hill for big tech. In a contagious hearing on Wednesday, the CEOs of Facebook, Google, and Twitter were questioned by senators on the Commerce Committee, as we've already heard. Cruz angrily went after Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey, pressing him on the platform's decision to restrict content posted by the New York Post. He concluded by shouting at Dorsey, Mr. Dorsey, who the hell elected you and put you in charge of what the media are allowed to report and what the American people are allowed to hear? And why do you persist in behaving as a Democratic super PAC soliciting views to contrary, to contrary of your political beliefs? So that was Ted Cruz, and obviously we, we get a, a more of an extension. The post that was censored, obviously you heard, uh, as I just read, was the New York Post, what was, which is one of the, the biggest newspapers, our oldest new pa newspapers that has existed, and their a Twitter account was suspended, or, uh, yeah, was suspended. And the last time I checked, which was a couple of days ago, it still hasn't had a recent tweet. Cruz also asked Dorsey if Twitter has the ability to influence elections, to which Dorsey answered no, adding that the platform is part of a spectrum of channels people have. 
Senator Ron Johnson seized on Dorsey's statement later in the hearing, asking Mr. Dorsey, do you still deny that you don't have the ability to influence and interface in our elections? Dorsey affirmed his answer. Republicans also repeatedly pointed to Twitter's inaction on tweets from Iran as a way to illustrate in their view the uneven application of the company's moderation policies. It's strange to me that you have flagged the tweets from President Trump, but you haven't hidden the Alawites' call to wipe Israel off the map. Senator Cory Gardner said, Early on in the hearing, Dorsey defended the inaction, characterizing a lot of tweets as saber-rattling that does not violate Twitter's policies. The hearing came as social media companies have been bracing for an onslaught of misinformation in recent days. Facebook and Twitter have both taken action to slow the spread of some content, bringing about allegations of bias, censorship, and even election interference. And the article goes on to talk much more, but I thought I would stop there because it gives a little bit more insight to Ted Cruz's comments and to other comments about censorship as the angle. And obviously it talks a little bit about Democrats' angle, but I don't think that Democrats are necessarily the, the main reason to this hearing. What I mean by that is, yes, Democrats' opinions are valid and are important, but it's important to hear why censorship is wanting to happen more than why some why action shouldn't be taken. In other words, I'm more interested to hear why people believe that censorship needs to happen on Twitter, Facebook, and, or why censorship needs to be deleted or changed on Facebook, Twitter, and Google more than I'm interested in hearing that there does not need to be a change because, uh, yeah, I think that that makes more sense, sense to me. And we also heard more of comments. And one of the comments about calls to violence, as you heard directly here by uh, the Senator Cory Gardner, but also I, I recently thought of something else as well. They Twitter also made a separate rule uh, for their program about Trump's tweets. So if the tweet isn't 100% factual or has maybe a statistic wrong, there is a special thing that pops up within Twitter that tells you the information about what Trump has said. And it happens to nobody else but Trump on the platform. And some would argue that that's because it's the president, so more people would want to read what the president says. And the president does have an authority simply by being president, so his opinion should need to be uh, be factual as most as uh, more than anybody else. But the other side to that is, is why are you making a special rule just for one person that happens to be president and happens to be conservative? So if you're more conspiratorial, you could believe that that is very much the case as far as that goes. Now this is the last article and then I'll make sure to get to your comments if anybody has been commenting. Unfortunately, the way I have everything set up here, I'm not able to see your comments right away because I don't have a second monitor and whatever else. We're having some problems loading this next article, so I'll continue talking about just general rules. So, Twitter has, has made it clear that there is several components to having special rules just because one person happens to be conservative or whatnot. And it is something that is rather important and needs to be taken into account. Because as I've just said, it's very important that rules and censorship and whatever else are kept the same and not different just because you're somebody else compared to, to another person, if that makes sense. So basically, 
Twitter shouldn't be censoring you because you are a conservative when you are a liberal or you're the opposite of what a conservative is. And as I've said many times really already, I don't necessarily think that conservatives are 100% right in the fact that they are getting censored, but I do think that they are getting censored more than the left is getting censored or whatever you want to call it the opposite of what a conservative is. Now this next article is by Fox News, and it was essentially talking about Ted Cruz's comments more about his uh, direct fire or his direct attack against Twitter and their call out call to violence and more conservative media backlash. But we kind of already talked about that, and since the article isn't really wanting to load very well, I'll just move on to this next piece and next topic. Now, I didn't exactly know where I wanted to fit this next topic, so I decided I was going to stick it here before we get into kind of our separate topics from that point. And this is uh, a big attack would have happened in France. Uh, a guy came into a church with a knife and killed three people, including decapitating one person and injuring two others in this, in this attack at the church. And their security level went up to maximum after this attack, which is basically, uh, well, you know what that means. You have your, your, your different levels of security, and their level went up to maximum from this attack that happened in church. So obviously the U.S. isn't the only place that has had these protests and has had terrorist attacks and whatnot. It is happening worldwide, and France has been a rather rather spot for multiple attacks. The church of uh, Notre Dame recently got burned down and many people speculate that this was a terrorist attack or was a anti-political attack or had some other motive more than just a simple church burning because of the natural environment or due to electrical issues or whatnot. So I'll go ahead and read this article. One woman was reportedly decapitated and two people and it's loading again. Come on, Fox News. Load! <laughs> this is what gets annoying. I, I make sure to load all of these articles before the podcast. But they keep getting uh, not loaded properly. So I am going to have to get rid of this tab here. So I'm not going to be able to look at your comments again. I did this inside this time. So I didn't think that that would happen this week. But I don't want there to be any other uh, more issues as far as loading sites go. So I'm going to try one more time. But in an effort to keep this a podcast and not just a video, I'll keep talking here. I apologize for that. I've had two weeks in a row of a little bit of tech issues as far as articles and videos not wanting to play. But we're back up, so here we go. One woman was reportedly decapitated and two people were stabbed to death on Thursday following a knife attack at the church in France, city of Nice, that also left several others wounded according to multiple reports. The suspect, believed to be acting alone, was injured during his arrest, his arrest and taken to a local hospital. Alright, I'm just going to have to call this... Okay. The suspect, believed to be acting alone, was injured in his arrest and taken to a local hospital. An investigation was opened into attack by the French and anti-terrorist 
and anti-terrorist prosecutor office report images on France media showed the neighborhood locked down and surrounded by police and emergency vehicles. Prime Minister Jane Castells I don't know what it's doing. Alright, I'm going to have to call this next one. Sorry about that. Uh, in other words, they're, they're making an investigation report on this a suspected attack, and they're not sure as of to the motives exactly yet, but there is a big issue that happened, and they do believe it to be a potentially politically motivated or, or terroristically. I'm not sure if terroristically is a word, but you get what I'm saying. This next one is just a short topic on COVID. I don't want to spend too long on this because we have been surrounded by the monster of COVID. So I don't think we want to spend too much time just off of that. This next one says, Fauci, but, and this is by The Hill, Fauci expressed the support for national mask mandate. The nation's top infectious disease expert, Dr. Anthony Fauci, expressed support for a nationwide mask mandate in an interview late Wednesday with CNBC. Fauci explained that the U.S. rate of new coronavirus infections is trending in the wrong direction, adding that mask mandates are likely the only option to slow the spread. You know, yes, he said, even asked if national mandate is needed, if we don't get one, then I would hope that the governors and the mayors do it locally if it's not done nationally. This is going to get worse because we are going more into a colder session or colder season as we get through the fall and into the winter with the holiday season going. We have got to do something different. We can't just let this happen, Fauci continue. And this is a Twitter post by the new the news with Shepard Smith. Do we, need a mass, do we need a national mask mandate? How closely has Dr. Fauci been working with President Trump? What can we do to flatten the curve? Dr. Fauci weighs in on the coronavirus surge. Fauci also said, however, that we did not think that Trump's White House would issue a national mask mandate. We are using the word mandating mask. Yes, if that works, let's do it. I don't think it's going to happen nationally, he said. It may not come from the White House to do it, and if it doesn't, then I think the mayors and governors should do it. Joe Biden says yes to a response by this Hill's post. So, because obviously Joe Biden has been one for a nation nationwide mask mandate. And, as I said before, I don't want to spend too long on this topic, but there is big debate on whether a national mask mandate would really do that much. Uh, would really do that much of an impact compared to other sort of events. So in other words, would a mask mandate really make the flatten the curve or really make the numbers of people who are getting infected with coronavirus go down? I don't think that that is necessarily the case in, in what would happen. And many people are with me in that opinion. But obviously a lot of people take the approach of wearing a mask doesn't really do that much. And, and if you generally follow good, safe protocols with, with wearing a mask and not touching your face, not touching the mask too much, then it's really more safe than not wearing a mask at all. So we should just wear a mask, and wearing a mask doesn't take that much effort, blah, 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 blah. We have heard all of these sides. Even if you're someone that doesn't follow that much news, you have heard these mask debates because it is all around us. 
So again, I don't think that a mask mandate would make that much sense for the U.S. because many people are simply too independent to do so and to wear their mask. And if one person chooses not to wear a mask in a store, or not wear a mask in a college, or not wear a mask at your work, or not wear a mask at wherever you're going, then that simply you are affecting everybody not as much, but the masks don't become fully effective as a full mask mandate would be. And you would have to and be able to endorse and be able to follow this mask mandate 100% for it to have a full effect and to have a full impact on on how people choose to live their life. So I don't necessarily see a mask mandate necessarily helping too much. But at the same time, you could very easily take that approach of wearing a mask doesn't really hurt you that much, so just do it. And I see that approach as well. But I, I do think that seeing both sides is important on this issue. Now this next topic on uh, the coronavirus is worldwide coronavirus news with France and Germany on the lockdown with COVID-stricken Europe braces for a tough winter. And this is by NBC News. London surging coronavirus cases across Europe are triggering a new national or sorry na national lockdowns after the commitment again shows clear signs of becoming COVID-19's global epidemic center. After appearing to deal with the virus better than the United States for the most of the summer, the European Union and its neighbors are now seeing more new cases per capita than the US average. They recorded deaths per capita have caught up with the US too according to the European CDC. The spiraling situation has promoted French President Emmanuel Macron to announce a new national lockdown until December 1st. The virus is circulating at a speed that not that sorry, the virus is circulating at a speed that not even the most pessimistic forecast had anticipated, he said in a televised speech. Like all our neighbors, we are submerged by the sudden acceleration. Macron warned 400,000 people could die if the virus was left unchecked, adding that more than half of the country's insensitive care beds are already filled with COVID-19 patients. Hours earlier, German Chancellor Angela Merkel, I feel like I butchered, I know I've heard her name, god dang, announced her country long, long seen as a relative coronavirus success story with also enter a period of restrictions. We must act, and now to avoid an acute national health emergency, she said, revealing she had wanted to act sooner, but it felt opposition from Germany's regional leaders. If we wait until the ICUs are full, then it will be too late, she said. All bars and restaurants in Germany and France will now close, but unlike earlier lockdowns in spring, schools will remain open. France measures to go further and people are instructed to stay at the home except for essential trips or medical treatment. The moves puts pressure on the United Kingdom to move from a locally tailored restrictions and into a nationwide circuit breaker lockdown which is being heavily resisted by Prime Minister Boris Johnson on economic grounds. So obviously the US isn't the only one experiencing COVID-19 uh, and the virus. And we have known that for the most part, but a lot of 
politicians have basically stated that Trump's management of coronavirus has been much worse than the European counterparts and now Europe is facing a surge as well and the US has also recently or still is facing the surge depending on what statistics you are looking at with Texas, Arizona and other states um, in the south mainly compared to states like New York who have recently seen a small uptick but not necessarily a huge uptick as other states uh, that I've just said have, have experienced. And as I was saying, many of the European uh, countries have been praised by many politicians here in the U.S. about their management of the virus, but now an uptick is also happening in the virus. And as we heard from Boris Johnson, and that's why I decided to read all the article, because I do think it's important to understand the perspective of coronavirus and what's not just happening in the U.S., but what's also happening around us in the ward, because we are not the only country that exists in the, in the, in, in the ward and in the planet obviously. So I do think it's important. And Boris Johnson was basically stating that he's worried about economic, he's worried about the economic damage, for lack of better words, that could happen if a full lockdown were to take place, just as closing down restaurants as France and Germany has done. So many of small businesses that are in France and Germany are probably going to be shutting down, or going to be shutting down, because of the lack of economic support that they're getting from a full shutdown. In other words, if they're not making any money, they're not going to be able to pay, and being not not being able to pay is going to put them out of business. We have seen many of that happen, especially in the U.S. and in California, with most notably San Francisco, where a ton of restaurants have shut down because of the lack of business in in their uh, city. And that can be seen also with probably going to happen in France and Germany. So obviously Boris Johnson is worried to do that in London because he's also not just seen it uh, happen now in France and Germany, but also happen in the U.S. through mainly its more liberal states because they were more quick to go into a full shutdown or simply a stricter shutdown than the states here in the South. So I think that's enough news on coronavirus, but before we get to our next topic, I'm going to grab a drink real quick. And I apologize for anybody who is on Twitter, DLive, and YouTube right now. I am unable to, to read your comments, but I'll make sure at the end when I make my announcements to, to, make, to check those platforms just in case I don't want to miss anybody's comments and general support from that. So these next two topics are about ballots. So ballots are a huge concern when it comes to the election cycle here because ballots give a perspective on, on what's happening for the election. In other words, many people are deciding to fill out ballots compared to other platforms or compared to just simply going to vote in person. And we have seen more and more of that because of how COVID has impacted the election this uh, this cycle. I'm going to quickly pull up um, the comments here on this main site and as I do that I'll just talk in general. So obviously a lot of people really on both sides of the aisle were wondering how ballots were going to affect the election because we have seen record high turnouts from ballots 
than we've ever seen really before. And that's something that, that needs to be noted and needs to be talked about. Uh, and seeing that as the case is, is very important. And I see Ron Helton here as he says, Cases, not deaths. They are learning how to treat the virus better. Jamming tubes down throats should have been the last resort. Steroids. North Carolina will be counting ballots nine days after election. We should have a winner by January 15th. Yes, that's going to be one of the topics I'm bringing up here on these next two articles. Because essentially the Supreme Court has decided uh, that Pennsylvania and North Carolina and I think one other state, if I am remembering right, are going to have a, a deadline. Their deadline increased for mail-in ballots. So in other words, they're given more time, or the people, the citizens there are given more time to fill out a mail-in ballot than, um, than some other states because of problems or uh, general support towards wanting to, to fill, to have longer time to do so. If that makes any sense. <laughs> so I'll go ahead and read this next article that loads up. And this is by CBS News. Supreme Court denies GOP effort to fast track ruling on Pennsylvania ballot deadline. The Supreme Court on Wednesday declined to expedite review of a high profile dispute over Pennsylvania's deadline for mail-in absentee ballots. But left open the possibility of revisiting the matter after the election. The Pennsylvania Republican Party had asked the court to review a ruling by the state Supreme Court that extended the deadline for returning mail-in ballots by three days to November 6. Justice Samal Alto, writing for herself and Justices Clarence Tomlin and Neil Gorsuch, said also there was simply not enough time at this late date to decide the question before the election, but added that does not mean that the state court decision must escape our review. Pennsylvania officials said Wednesday that country election boards would segregate ballots reviewed after election day should the court choose to review the case in the future. Meanwhile, President Trump was out west, drum up support in battleground state of Nevada, holding up a rally Wednesday afternoon across the border in neighboring Arizona due to the silver state coronavirus restrictions. A senior Trump campaign official told CBS News that President plans to visit 10 states during the last week of the campaign and hold 11 rallies in 48 hours before the election day. Joe Biden is continuing to focus on the COVID-19 pandemic. So obviously that article didn't really talk too much about the most recent change, but as we heard from Ron and as I was just talking about beforehand, this deadline has been pushed. Uh, Ron says here, I thought today was early voting here, though it's tomorrow. Are you going to um, early vote, Ron? I don't. I'm going to vote in person. The polling station is actually uh, really close to where I am now, so it doesn't even take that much effort to to go ahead and vote in person. So that's what I'm going to do uh, for myself. But I definitely know that a lot of people are choosing to mail in ballot this time around, and simply I don't really trust mail in ballots. A, a, a bunch compared to simply casting a vote in person. So that's kind of my thought process there. <clears throat> this next article is talking about just how many melon ballots there are. More than 1% of the melon ballots may be rejected, says experts. And this is by NBC uh, News. 
60% of voters, nearly 7 million people, are projected to vote by mail nationwide during the coronavirus pandemic. Those who study absentee rejection rates estimate that 1-2% to 2 of those votes, potentially more than 1 million, won't count, which could make a difference in battleground state. The vote by mail ballot rejections are going to be handling hanging chaos of 2000 said daniel smith a a professor of political science at the university of florida the risk of ballot rejection varies by demographic and geography the rate of rejection tends to be higher for black hispanic female and younger voters as well for people who don't usually vote by mail experts say it also tends to be higher in states that don't normally have a lot of absentee valleys a category that indicates the battleground states of Georgia, Nevada, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. All five have had less than 10% of turnout by mail in 2016, and that they have seen huge increase in mail votes this fall. The problem experts say is that the experience matters when it comes to counting mail-in ballots, and while tight vote margins are nothing new for purple states, many have never experienced the election in which a high percentage of votes will arrive by mail, aimed round-the-clock efforts by election officials to expand access to mail ballots, rejection rates in past elections, raise concerns that in some tightly contested states, the number of rejected ballots could be larger than a winning candidate's margin of victory. So it goes on to talk a little bit more. And as we've seen from the massive amount of people who are filling in melon ballots and are projected to still fill in melon ballots, it could be a huge, huge topic and could potentially uh, cause the election to swing a certain direction. As obviously many of the topics are the debate is happening within battleground or swing states that could go either direction. So whatever candidate most likely loses is going to blame Melon ballots for their loss, most likely. And we could potentially see a election that lasts a lot longer than uh, previous elections, not just because of Melon ballots, but because of potential fraud that might exist from whatever from whatever candidate has lost. In other words, I don't necessarily see the uh, loser of this election to go down easy and 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 not put up a fight. Alrighty. Oops. So now we're going to get into the good old election news. And election news is something that uh, a lot of people have their minds on, obviously, because we are only five days away. And Rod says, yes, voting tomorrow just so I can forget it. I can see my polling station from my front door. It is straight across the street. Oh, that's great. You get perfect access. <laughs> Yeah, no reason to wait if you're that close, that's for sure. But So everybody has their, their thought process on the election happening. And I just thought that I would read part of this Atlantic article. Because those who, who kind of follow news or, or read articles on a regular basis know that Atlantic has a left bias 100% for sure. So I thought it was going to be interesting to see what uh, people were saying about uh, this next election. And I found this article to be uh, kind of interesting. The Atlantic States, and this is by Derek Thompson, the top five reasons to believe 2020 won't be a 2016 sequel. First point. In 2016, the posters totally whiffed on the Great Lakes states. In 2020, they have changed their methods. 
National polls wasn't more of a 2016 than in previous years. The problem happened at the state level. Whereas the state polls under, underestimated Barack Obama's support by about 3%, by 3 points to 2012. They underestimated Trump's support by more than 5 points to 2016. The largest error so far in this country. The most important reason, according to a postmodern postmortem form, the American Association for Public Opinion Research, was that state polls undercounted non-college educated voters who turned out in droves for Trump. For instance, if a sample of 60% male, the pollsters would want to give the woman responses more weight because the women actually vote more than men. In 2016, many pollsters failed to adjust for the fact that college-educated Americans are typically more likely to respond to surveys. Another way to say that is the pollsters undersampled non-college-educated voters at the same time the electoral split sharply along the Democrat, sorry, the diploma divide to give Trump an advantage among non-college educated voters. The second point. In 2016, a ton of undecided voters broke late for Trump in 2020. Most of those voters have already decided. Two, works two weeks before the 2016 election, 538 Nate Silver noted that 15% of voters still hadn't made up their minds, which was roughly three times more than the number of undecideds in 2012. This statistics was the shove the gun of the last election, the anonymous prestige foreshadowing as a final act surprise. One of the reasons why our models still give Trump an outside chance at victory, Silver wrote four years ago, was that Trump could eke it out by winning almost all the undecided and third-party voters, and so he did. Third point. In 2016, we had the mother of all October surprises. In 2020, we have the most stable race in decades. Biden's lead is larger and more stable than Clinton's lead was in 2016. In fact, by one measure, it's more stable than any presidential nominee lead in more than 30 years. In every election going back to the 1980s, the loser was at some point ahead and mainstream polls are in the average of polls. In the summer of 1988, Michael Dukas led George H.W. Bush by double digits in the spring of 1992, both Ross Perot and Bush were leading Bill Clinton. In January 1996, Bob Dole had a narrow lead over Clinton in Gallup polls. Fourth point, in 2016, the district-level polls indicated a last-minute Democratic collapse in 2020. And Early November 2016, several careful polling analysis started surrounding an alarm for Hillary Clinton in the upper Midwest. Six days before the election, the Atlantic's Ron Brostein noted that Clinton has not visited Wisconsin since April and appeared just twice in Michigan from June throughout October. By abandoning these case states, she was acting like a general who has sent out a large expeditionary force and left uh, modest forces to offend their homeland. Fifth, in 2016 there wasn't a global pandemic and in 2020 there is a global pandemic. And really that just takes the approach that Trump has done bad during the pandemic. And really I don't want to read that much about the pandemic because it gets on my nerves because it's really just become more political than it really should have been. But in real short to summarize this article in really two sentences or one sentence, the reason Donald Trump won 2016 was because Hillary Clinton was the opponent. If it was anyone else besides Hillary Clinton, 
the Democrats could have probably won the election over Donald Trump because many people simply didn't trust Donald Trump or didn't want a businessman in office, but obviously they had the other side of voters who did want someone who wasn't a politician in office. But in, I don't think that the, that the article is taking into account just how unpopular Hillary Clinton is. So I do think that that is the major reason why Trump won the 2016 election cycle. And that's why now having Joe Biden, I think they went for a completely opposite approach to, to what was happening because of how bad Hillary Clinton was as a candidate. In other words, they wanted someone who appears to be very moderate, someone that appears to be going to bring the country back to, to a stable union or a stable part between all red and blue states. Someone that people could, the general people, the sheeple, could, could look and see as being somebody that's going to bring the media bashing of each other back to normalcy. Basically, Joe Biden, they, they wanted a candidate through Joe Biden who looks normal and people could see themselves as. I'll go back to YouTube here real quick. Ron says, hey, I just read a similar article about Point, but I think their post will still miss the mark. Next one. I have never been polled in the past this year. I receive at least two or three polling calls per day. I just don't answer them. Lowe, I'm sure others are doing the same. Yeah, I'm sure, if, especially if you have a landline, you are probably going to receive a lot of these polling calls because really that's how a lot of these polling companies are still doing their methods of collecting data. But on, the, on that note, I have seen several people uh, through like Twitch streams I've watched, mainly on Twitch, some uh, YouTube live streams on political uh, commentators, are people that are basically doing what I'm doing right now. And many people have basically said that they have been called up and said, oh yeah, I'm going to vote for Joe Biden, I'm a Democrat. But in reality, they are very much a Republican or not going to vote for Joe Biden. So basically, they're just telling polling people uh, inaccurate results and they still get called. So a lot of people are speculating on those live streams that I've watched that uh, essentially they're just cherry picking answers. So they're wanting to call people who are Democrats are more likely to vote towards Joe Biden. And once they have that list of people, they keep calling them so that their polling numbers keep suggesting that Joe Biden has a good victory because they're essentially polling people that they know the answer to. So I do think that there is some of that going on. This next article is by CNN. North Carolina can count votes received nine days after election day, Supreme Court says. And this is what Ron Helton was briefly talking about. The Supreme Court on Wednesday allowed the counting of ballots in North Carolina received up to nine days after election, as long as the ballots are postmarked by the election day, a victory for Democrats in another key state. Republicans and the Trump campaign have asked the courts to reinstate a deadline set in June by the state legislature that allowed the ballots to be received only up to three days after the election day. The ruling came shortly after the court left in a, in a place for a now Pennsylvania State Supreme Court decision that allowed the counting of ballots received up to three days after election, even if there is no legible postmark. Just as Amy Coney Barrett took no part in both of the North Carolina-Pennsylvania decisions because she had not yet had time to be fully reviewed on the briefs, the court said. North Carolina Attorney General Josh Stein praised the court's order, calling it a huge win. The court upheld the State Board of Elections effort to in ensure that every eligible vote counts, even during a pandemic, he said in the statement. 
there was two separate challenges, one brought by the Trump campaign and the other Republicans, and a, and, and a second brought by the Republican North Carolina legislators. And then it talks a little bit more. But obviously we have now seen that they are willing to extend the uh, mail-in ballot today. Therefore, more mail-in ballots are going to be casted. And we do know that Democrats are more likely to fill out mail-in ballots than Republican voters. Because Republican voters are more wanting to go to polling stations themselves. So I do think that that gives a distinct, adva distinct advantage on uh, the swing stage towards the Democratic. But I don't think that even with this advantage in Pennsylvania that, that uh, Joe Biden is going to win Pennsylvania. And that is going to be one of the major states that I am looking forward, look forward to watching in this election. Although it is going to be delayed results because of mail-in ballots. And really the whole country is going to have delayed results because of mail-in ballots. But I still don't see Joe Biden winning Pennsylvania just because of the oil industry that exists in Pennsylvania itself. This next article. This next article is by the Washington Post. And it states here, Election 2020 Live Update. Trump Biden covering on key battleground state of Florida. The presidential campaigns on Florida on Thursday, with President Trump and Democratic nominee Joe Biden planning rallies in Tampa within hours of one another. Biden plans to make a second stop in the state, while Trump's schedule also takes him to North Carolina, another key battleground state. Vice President Pence has planned rallies in Iowa and Nevada, while the Democratic vice presidential nominee, Senator Kamala Harris, is holding virtual events aimed at black and working working class voters. So that was the last major update that I thought I would talk about on uh, this particular article itself. And that brings me to a point that I just briefly want to mention. And what makes me the most cautious about polling results is Trump's Trump's pure ability to attract so many people at his rallies. If you have seen coverage of Donald Trump's rallies, you see just a massive amount of people that are there. And he's doing three of these rallies almost a day. And it's still a massive amount of people that are showing up. Even on California, when they were doing a, a event there, they had a huge turnout in California because of what was going on uh going on in California the state so a lot of people are essentially angry at their governor or at the state's uh, legislators that they came out and 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 uh, to Trump's rally or simply wanted to see it but regardless of all that a huge turnout happened in California that is believed to be and, and really probably still is a major blue state and then you look at Joe Biden's rallies, and there's just not that much people that show up. Kamala Harris recently had a rally where she had a lot more people than Joe Biden usually has on his. But even then, there was a lot more trees than there was simply people in that video clip that I saw. So it just makes me clearly wonder about if these polling numbers are really that accurate. And, and I do have a, a very big skepticism over polling numbers in general, especially because of the last presidential election in 2016, where the numbers were just outright wrong. And that's something that should be noted and accounted for. 
and one of the only people that was relatively accurate with these polling numbers and even gave Donald Trump a chance was 538 and that's why I always go to them when looking at polls but even 538 tends to have Joe Biden as an advantage so I'll go back to YouTube real quick oh yep same thing alrighty we'll check uh, Twitch nothing there alrighty alrighty we're good on comments so I'll continue on here that's 538 says here no I don't want that Go back, go back. Accidentally uh, clicked on a different link. All right, here we go. 538. What to make of the new Wisconsin poll that is that has Biden way ahead? Once in a blue moon, you see a poll that makes you blink twice to make sure you're not seeing things. This morning, ABC's poll, the Washington Post survey of Wisconsin was just such a poll. It showed Joe Biden 17 points, not a typo. <laughs> Ahead of President Trump, 57% to 40% among likely voters. To put it mildly, this is a stunning margin in what is supposed to be one of the most competitive swing states in the country, a place that Trump has carried by less than one percentage point in 2016. And this is not an easy poll to disregard. ABC News, Washington Post adheres to what is considered the gold standard methodology, meaning they use live phone interviews, cell phone uh call cell phones as well as landmines and participate in the American Association for Public Opinion Research Transparency Initiative or the Roper Center for Public Opinion Research Archive and there's an A-plus grade in 538's polling register database. A poll single-handedly increased Biden's lead in her polling average of Wisconsin from 7.1 points to 9 points and is currently the most influential poll in our forecast of Wisconsin. But Biden's chances of winning the state have reached a new high, as new high as a result, 93 and 100. That said, the ABC News Washington Post is definitely an outlier. No other poll has shown Biden with that large of a lead in Wisconsin since June. Then it has a Holdis and Associates poll sponsored by the Conservative Restoration PAC that put Biden 17 points ahead. On the other hand, this poll doesn't exist doesn't exactly exist in a vacuum. Biden has recently gotten a lot of very strong polls from some of the states that border Wisconsin to wit. What, what might be going on here? Well, Biden has a lead in some of these states for a while, but it's also possible that Trump could be losing support in the Midwest due to the recent spike in COVID-19 cases there. Much of Wisconsin is a current, currently a hotspot. On Tuesday, the state reported more new cases, 5,262 and deaths, 64, than any other day the pandemic. The same day, Iowa and Minnesota announced a record number of hospitalizations, and cases are on the rise in Michigan as well. And it talks a little bit more about some articles they have published on Wisconsin itself. But if we are to believe that polling number of 17%, our 538s, uh, average of these posts at 9% for Joe Biden, then it is most likely out of the margin of error for these polls, and Joe Biden would have a win in Wisconsin. And uh, I don't know if I necessarily believe polls, as I was just mentioning beforehand, but it is very interesting to see. And I do think that the reason for COVID could be a response to why uh, Joe Biden has received more numbers, because if you are someone that watches media at all, then you would believe that Trump's coverage and what he's done with coronavirus is 
always wrong and never good. And if you do have that perspective, then you are most likely going to vote for Joe Biden's plan and what he would do for coronavirus management. This next article was by the Washington uh, Street Journal and uh, by Daniel. And it says, vote for Joe Biden, seriously. The 2020 presidential election has been defined by three events, the emergence of coronavirus in March, the George Floyd protest after May 25th, and Representative Jim Claiborne's endorsement in February of Joe Biden before the South um, Carolina primary. There has been one major non-event, the Biden presidential non-campaign, a cold weather resurgence of the virus in the upper Midwest in plain states put the pandemic in front of voters in the election's final week, where the importance of other two elements in shaping the outcome has faded. Forgotten by many voters is back in mid-February after losing in Iowa and New Hampshire, it looked as if former Vice President Biden's luminous campaign would, be, would become his third failed attempt at presidency. Mr. Biden distinguished himself in the primary debates only by surviving them. And Senator Amy Klobuchar, the other moderate alternative to progressive insurgency of Senator Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, wasn't gaining traction like like Mike Bloomford landed and left in the evening, in the in the evening month. In short, a path was opening for Vermont Democratic Socialist Bernie Sanders to secure the party's nominee, and we all know that that was dropped. Uh, despite the images on TV, the party's Media commentaries had to turn themselves inside out trying to create a fictional barrier of responsibility for the violence between peaceful protests and the people 20 feet away assembling at buildings. An ideology movement that emerged in January 2017 as the anti-Trump resistance led by Nancy Pelosi in the New York Times 1619 project. And various social media platforms ended up in the streets as a grim mass insurgence aimed gathering ass and burning buildings. Mr. Biden promised to American voters that he will heal the country's divisions. He won't. What has come to, into plain view the past year is that the Democratic Party, despite its liberal traditions, has allowed itself to descend into a deeply pessimistic view of America. For all his feeling about Donald Trump by comparison, it looks like the optimist. So it was basically saying that all of these events are, are are bad towards Donald Trump and his management of them are even worse by Donald Trump and you should elect Joe Biden not because he's that great but because he is better than Donald Trump so that was kind of his whole perspective and really we've been hearing a lot of that perspective uh, in recent time now as this article loads up we I'll go to the chat section make sure I haven't missed anything here uh, Ron Helton says, Nate is a pretty smart fellow, but even he got the 2016 election wrong. He gave Hillary less of a chance. 538. Yeah, Nate is, five, I do like 538 and Nate Silverman, because I don't think that he necessarily has a huge bias compared to a lot of these other uh, polling companies or, or mass media companies that do polling. But at the same time, I, I don't know if I necessarily agree with polls and even 538's polls just because of the way they're, they're really done. Then Ron says, I will give Biden one thing. He is a stubborn old jackass. I remember both of his times that he ran, ran and was caught lying or plagiarized him. 
how he has held onto the Senate seat is a puzzle to me. Yeah, Biden is is a very interesting guy. He's been uh, in politics for I think it was 43 years, if I am remembering right, and uh, that is a very long time to be in politics and to be in the government. Way too long. <laughs> That's why I am a huge fan of term limits and everything like that. But that is a whole separate topic. But we'll get into this next article here. Senator Tim Kaine. Joe Biden has my vote. He will restore character, compassion, and competence to our nation. And this is an opinion piece on Fox News. By Senator Tim Kaine himself. And the article is still loading. Fox News is maybe having some problems with their site right now. Usually I use more CNN articles than I use Fox News. Because I do like to get uh, both sides of their perspective. And usually CNN has a different perspective than what I'm usually thinking. Uh, myself or what I'm hearing on, on YouTube channels or uh, podcasts or whatever else. So that's usually why I use CNN more than I use other uh, articles. But again, I do like to mix it up. So I've tried to get at least a couple of Fox and a couple of CNN and then some others. But Fox News has been having a little bit of trouble here. But essentially, Tim Kaine was endorsing uh, Joe Biden. And we'll read here. I stepped outside my home in Richmond last Saturday to get the morning paper and read the front page headline, U.S. State's One Day Record for Infections. Versions of the same headline were on the front page of papers across the country in the 10th month. My vantage point on, at first, the briefing about the coronavirus in late January, the tensions between the administrative scientists and political uh, spinsters was obvious. President Trump viewed the challenge as a threat to his personal political fortune rather than as a threat to the nation's health, so he sought to minimize it, even to the point of attacking those who took it seriously and embraced the basic safe, basic safety steps, and all while he's been pushing his heartless plan to actually take away Americans' health care in the Midwest of the pandemic. So again, just from that brief article we've read, we see that Senator uh, Tim Kaine, who is Democrat, is most likely to endorse Joe Biden just on the fact because he is, uh, sorry, just on the fact that he is, uh, just restart, just because he has coronavirus on his mind and thinks that Trump's management of coronavirus was bad. And uh, Ron says, yes, 43 years. Biden has never, Biden's neither character nor competence, compassion maybe. Biden pushed for banning assault rifles their, the, their rate of fire was the same as other non-black or another non-black scary looking semi-auto rifles. He is neither a bittering idiot or a pure evil trying to destroy libera- liberty. And then uh, Ron says of course Kane is another jackass democrat. And again I agree. So it didn't really surprise me but I was surprised to see it on a Fox News article. So that brings me to kind of the last point here, and I'm going to make a solo video about it, so I don't think that I'm going to spend too much time. Uh, I do know who I'm going to vote for, and essentially it is between, well, I know two people, uh, 
Originally, I was going to go all out and vote for Donald Trump because I do think that he is the best option for the country. I know for sure I'm not going to vote for Joe Biden because really I don't think we are voting for Joe Biden. We're voting for Kamala Harris and I cannot stand Kamala Harris. I'm not that much of a fan of President Trump, but uh, I do think that he's done rather good. Now, I was listening to the generational gap and some other sort of liberty-minded, uh, libertarian-slash-liberty-minded people, and they were suggesting that uh, Joe Biden, or sorry, that Joe Jurgensen is should be the one you're voting for, if you don't 100% like uh, uh, Donald Trump. But I don't know if I'm necessarily going to vote for Joe Jorgensen, even though I don't 100% like Donald Trump. Uh, but I do think he is a lot better candidate, and I do think that he has in generally done more uh, good for the country than he has done bad for the country. So on that grounds, I'm probably going to vote for Donald Trump, and he was my vote originally, so it kind of goes from there. And Ron says, Hillary picked Kane as her VP because he is weak. She didn't want anybody making her appear even more incompetent if she had been elected in 2016. Yeah, yeah, I forgot that Tim Kaine was the uh, person for that election or the vice president for Hillary Clinton's election. But yeah, Mike Pence destroyed him in that in that vice president debate. Man, he just, whew. He, Tim Kaine's a weird guy too, though, so that doesn't surprise me that much. But I'll get through my uh, last announcements here, and then I'll go log off for today and get to some uh, some good old schoolwork before the end of the week here. It's a, it's really a blast. I love school. Ooh, it's fun. Anyway, <laughs> so again, I'm making a, a documentary analysis piece on the monopoly on violence. I'm probably going to have it out either after November uh 5th, 6th, somewhere just after the election or sometime during the Thanksgiving break. I decided to push it back from October because I think that it's uh, better to wait till uh, after the election to release this than before the election. But I do, if you're a fan of documentaries or you're a fan of just what's going on in today's culture with kind of a, a side um, perspective, then I would highly suggest you checking it out because I do think that it gives a different perspective than what probably you're used to you than you are used to hearing. But I also plan to release again who I plan to vote for slash kind of endorse if you want to say that in a solo video later this week, probably on the weekend sometime I will release that. Maybe Friday we'll see. And I do have a couple of videos on my uh, YouTube channel, The Breakdown with Birkenoff, of the debate recaps and about Antifa. So again, if you sort of like this content, I would highly suggest you checking that out as well. And again, make sure to check out thefreedomscoop.com for any other content like this. Again, thank you for watching and peace. And thank you, Ron, for uh, the, the wishing me a, ha a good uh, school year. So far, it's been been pretty good. It's just getting very long, and most of the uh, classwork is online, so uh, it's not exactly super thrilling. But again, thank you, Ron, and I'll see you on the next. <laughs>